This this sucks. This this sucks. This this sucks. This this sucks. It sucks. Bonus. Bonus sucking. We, Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. You're back to this list sucks. Yeah. And uh, and now we're we're back to you with another one of our bonus shows where we are working our way through a snub list that listener Lee Stamper sent to us from Reddit. And we wanted to go through this because we we firmly believe that um, virtually every list that somebody compiles sucks, mm-hmm. at least in our opinion, that it should. And Lo and behold, in going through this Reddit snub list, we thought, wow, well, this, this kind of sucks too. And so let's talk about why it sucks. Yeah. And so that's what we're doing. All so lists sucks, week, dude. Like even the to-do list I wrote for myself this morning, it sucked. It was <laughs> shitty. <laughs> was that the contents of the to-do list that sucked or was it just the list itself that sucked? Just the, you know, everything about it. Both. <laughs> Making... <laughs> conducting the, yeah, doing the production process the results <laughs> the yeah requirements that were laid forth <laughs> you know it was nothing yeah just nothing good about it i get it I get all it. lists another, yeah, yeah just another sucky list so this week we are going through um this week we landed on my morning jacket mm-hmm. because the list stated that every my morning jacket was left off of the greatest fire hundred albums of all time, and so we started with the debut album from my morning jacket entitled Tennessee Fire. Yes, correct. And just to be clear, like we we talked about this a little bit on the last episode, but the verbiage of it is not such that they're they're saying that every single my morning jacket album belongs on the list, but they are saying that there weren't any. So. Yes. We figured since there are not that many My Morning Jacket albums, we might as well go through all of them. There are some other artists that were represented as such on that snub list that, you know, have like 30 albums. We might not do all those. We might pick four or five. But My Morning Jacket has a limited number of of records, so we have, you know, the capacity to go through all of those. So that's what we're going to do. And we started with the Tennessee Fire, which is great because... Neither Mike and I had ever really delved into this one. And we are both My Morning Jacket fans. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I had never... uh, Both of the first two albums. So I've never dug into Tennessee Fire and I've also never dug into At Dawn. Like my earliest kind of deep dive for My Morning Jacket was the album after those two, which is It Still Moves. Yeah. That was the one that came right after At Dawn? Yes. At Dawn was a studio album or an EP? believe it's a studio album gotcha okay. i'd have to fact check myself but i'm almost certain that so tennessee fire was their first studio album from 1999 i believe at dawn was their next one from 2001 okay and then i believe it's still well i know that it still moves was released in 2004 gotcha was and we'll Z- get into the and i mean actually we may as well talk about it now because we're already talking about my morning jacket um i didn't realize until going through um, this album, The Tennessee Fire, and just doing a little bit of Wikipedia digging on it, I didn't realize that It Still Moves from 2004 was the first album with the current lineup as it exists today. It Still Moves was the first one, so even At Dawn didn't have that full fleshed out lineup. That's absolutely correct. Gotcha. And I don't even know that At Dawn had the same lineup that they had on this record. Yeah, so the, it was kind of in flux at the beginning is, is, is what you're getting at. 
Yes. The only the only consistent pieces were Two Tone Tommy and Jim James. Yeah. So Two Tone Tommy remains in the band. That's the bass player for those who are unaware. Is Tommy uninitiated? <laughs> for the uninitiated, yeah. <laughs> we like using that that verbiage <clears throat> here on this list sucks, but uh, so this is real raw, early my morning jacket, which is really Jim James at this point is like what makes up. I mean, really, let's be honest. I mean, I'm not not I'm to right discredit Two Tone Tommy, but. Probably Jim James wrote all of these these songs. He did. Yeah, I will confirm that for you right now because that was the fr- that's. It's funny that you mentioned that because that's not something that we talked about before, um, before we did the main show. But that's exactly how I felt about this album whenever I was listening to it. Was that it was really? I mean, it felt like it felt like a really early jim james solo record yeah that's what what i was about to say it's the jim james solo record yeah yeah um so that being said i like this one a lot and i think it was really cool to kind of see the genesis of a band that i that i really dig um if one thing it proved that jim james was always an incredible vocalist yes right Yes. God. At the same time, his voice is the first time that I listened through this record. I was, I was, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I was a little disappointed because I was like, man, this does, it almost didn't sound like Jim James, especially the first two or three tracks. But then as my ear got adjusted to, the recording of these tracks and as my ear got acclimated to picking up on those things that Jim James still does to this day, especially in the, in the form of like word enunciations and stuff. Jim James has always been a bizarrest about like how he punctuates words. And, and as soon as I started to pick up on, Oh yeah, all of those cues are there. And this is Jim James that I'm hearing and that I'm listening to, then it became, then it became really, really wonderful for me. It was almost like a weird barrier though, for me on those first couple of songs on the first time through. Well, that's kind of an interesting point because like the tonality of his voice is while somewhat similar, there's like, I feel like there's this certain mid rangey warmth to his voice that maybe developed more as he got older and maybe wasn't like the warmth wasn't as much there because this album does, it feels a little colder to me than some of the later stuff. I don't know if that makes any sense at all. But uh, I, I, I chalk that up to the fact that it was largely recorded in a garage. Yeah. So that's another interesting thing is the is the the low <laughs> fineness, which which Mike, you know, has famously doesn't uh, dig the the lo fi as much, and that's something I, I was fucking gonna, hate it. It's okay. You can you can say that Mike fucking hates lo-fi recordings. But also, I feel like there's a difference for you. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but I feel like there's a difference between lo-fi because we were 25 and we had no money, we recorded it in a garage, and lo-fi because we have all the money in the world and we intentionally wanted to make it sound like lo-fi. And you probably like the former more than the latter. Am I right in saying that? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 
Because the difference is, this is the best we could do with what we had at the time. Yeah. And, oh no, I like stuff that sounds like shit. <laughs> yeah. That's right. the difference, right? I want it to sound like fucking, shit. <laughs> there's a fucking world of difference between those two because like the intentional <laughs> lo-fi stuff to me, I mean, that's literally like Phil Spector jumping into the studio and being like, hey, I don't know what the fuck you guys think you're doing in here, but this sounds good. We gotta and fix I want that. it to sound like shit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like envisioning like a band getting together. It's like, I got a crazy idea for our next record, guys. Let's make it sound fucking terrible. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Let's just do a really poor job <laughs> intentionally. They're just doing take after take where it's like, <laughs> They keep doing these takes where the guy's like, not hey, shitty enough. I don't, I don't know what the fuck you guys are trying to do here, but we're going for shit. Okay. So can You're you just play too this good. a little sloppier? Yeah. <laughs> Slop up the line, slide into every note or something, figure something out. <laughs> I don't think there was a single time during the recording of this record that Jim James looked at two-tone Tommy and said, really? Like, you can't fuck that up a little bit more. You, play, you can't play any shittier than that, Two-Tone Tommy? <laughs> yeah. No, this is more of a record where they did the best with what they could at the time. So, Yeah. And, Nothing and to, from that standpoint, I don't hold it against an artist that doesn't have the means to create the best recording possible of their, of their art. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's different. Yeah. Totally different idea there. But uh, for those, and I, and I'm sorry if I'm repeating something that JB literally just said two minutes ago. But this was largely recorded in um, a space built above a garage in Shelbyville, Kentucky. And and can and when you think about that, you know, because there were really only four songs where the vocals were were laid down anew in a professional studio. Out of I think there's 14 tracks on this on this record there's a lot i mean it's it's thick um yeah so when you take that into consideration again that's where i circle back around to now this i'm gonna this is this is the best they could do with what they had at the time and given that it's really good it's really yeah. really good yep so um really fantastic let's talk about songs in particular um, yeah what stood out to you there were several that really stood out to me honestly i loved the opening track heartbreaking yes, man um, the melody on it reminded me a lot of the song In My Life, which I believe was a Beatles track originally. A Beatles track? But yeah. then it was covered by Johnny Cash. Um, oh, it's been covered by a ton of people. Yeah. Yes. But I mean, shortly after release was covered by Johnny Cash, I think. Hmm. So I feel like I've, I've occasionally got, personally got confused about the original recording. Yeah. Um, but... uh. Yeah, in my life vibes on that one, but right off the bat, you get that Jim James falsetto on that song, and I feel like this is mentioned from what I was reading every time this album is talked about. But the the vocals on this, and not just the vocals, but definitely the vocals are just dripping in reverb. This album <laughs> like is so reverb heavy. I mean, it's almost too much at times. But that's well, and. Uh, yeah because i'm with you and it's not just the vocals it's every it's every facet of this recording is literally just like if you could put reverb into a five gallon bucket and then hold all of the tracks underneath it and like 
slowly pull them out of the morass of this five gallon bucket. Like that's how much reverb was on this. And I think that what, to me, what I'm going to attribute that to is they wanted this to sound, they wanted that reverb sound, but due to the shitty recording situation, it just amplified something that they were trying to do in a way that almost becomes too much. Does yeah. that make sense? Yep. And it's just like, yeah, how do you get good reverb when you have limited production gear? Yeah. And, you know, who knows what that studio looked like? Because if that studio really just looked like a space above a garage, as it's described, um, yeah, good luck, you know, because if you're running a bunch of stuff through like a heavy reverb effect and then you don't have any type of baffling to try and catch some of those sound waves bouncing around yeah it's going to become a it's going to become a mud puddle yep you know and i wouldn't say that it's that bad no but it's overdone and i think that it's overdone due to the conditions that the recording took place in yeah i agree with you another i loved the bear the bear was, was like great I, I two tracks after that yep i loved that one um, pretty indie vibe or indie rock vibes on that one. You know, just, I loved the chorus. The chorus to that song is fantastic. And to me, this was the first track that I heard where I thought to myself, Oh yeah, that's my morning jacket 10 years from now. Yep. And know? on that one, I wrote Jim James vocal stylings galore. What I meant by that was like the later Jim James stylings are apparent as early as, as this track. Absolutely. Um, another one, that I really loved was War Begun. That was track nine. That. Okay, yes. Yep, I'm right there with you. Yeah, really, really right great song. Just and and there was there was a gorgeous acoustic guitar solo in like the latter half of that song. Mm-hmm. That really stood out to me. Just great great uh chord progression though, cool acoustic guitar part, good drums that kind of joined in with that after a couple rounds around. So I'll say voice too. Yeah. Like I thought that his voice was excessively raw in a good way on that track. Agreed. You know what else? So we were talking about fleet foxes earlier and I want to say that we were talking with fleet. We were talking about fleet foxes relative to Paul Simon. Is that right? On the big show? No, I think it was, uh, no, it was Yola Tango. Yeah. It was Yola Yola Tango Tango. that fleet foxes came up. So my note, the reason why I couldn't find out on any of those Yola Tango songs is because I made that note on If All Else Fails, which is, what is that, the sixth song? Yeah, the sixth song on this. Yep. Um, did you hear was, Did you hear a banjo Dude, on that song? So I literally wrote, is that a banjo or just a twangy acoustic guitar on all, exactly. If All Else Fails? Yeah. Exactly, and I couldn't, I couldn't figure that out either. Because it wasn't like so banjoy that it was definitely a banjo. Yeah, but I think I think it might have been. But I don't know. They weren't playing it like you would typically play a banjo. It's almost like they were just playing a banjo, but they were just plucking it like they played. They would like they would play a guitar because whoever played it didn't know how to play banjo. (laughs) You know what I mean? Is almost what it was like. Yeah. I'm with you. And it was kind of weird, but I did the exact same thing because I didn't definitively call it a banjo. I was just like, banjo? Question mark. Um, But it's funny because I think the reason why I was so adamant about noting Fleet Foxes on here is because, yes, it sounds, it does sound like Fleet Foxes, 
But really what that triggered in my mind was, you know, was was this early My Morning Jacket work influential on Robin Peckold? And is that why Fleet Foxes sound the way they do? You know, because especially when you think about like kind of a little bit of that dripping reverb, like that big kind of echoey sound, that was all over the debut Fleet Foxes album. Big time, yeah. You know, so I'd be curious... I'd be curious to know how much of an influence there was between this stuff and them. Do you remember the date on that? Off the top on of that your head? first Fleet Foxes? Yeah. I want to say 2007. So it's way after this. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Substantially after this. So I, I would, I would be hard pressed to say it wasn't influenced by this at least somewhat. Yeah. Uh, I also loved I Will Be There When You Die. Yep. Lyrically, that song was fantastic. I loved the acoustic work on that song, too. Yep, there's um, some beautiful acoustic um, guitar parts on that. That was another yeah. highlight for me. And the song that came after that, The Dark. Yes. Because that's a song that has like kind of like an eerie, drawn-out intro. And then it like drops in with like a drum part. It's like, in the dark. It's kind of a rocker, too, when it comes in. Like That was like the first song that I feel like hinted towards the eventual danceability of this band. Cause like you go yes. see, you go see like my morning jacket these days, you can dance for the whole fucking show and like you can party and dance. It's a rock band show, but it's a danceable rock band show. And this is the, for the so- first song on the record to me that, re- that you could really dance to, you know, a yes. lot of this stuff. And this is something I'll talk about some more, but like compared to the later, my morning jacket stuff, this is a lot more somber restrained withdrawn you know more pensive um just kind of more fleet foxy really than a lot of their later stuff you know what i mean yes no absolutely i absolutely know what you mean on the dark did you ever find yourself wondering if the drummer knows how to keep time was it bad i don't i don't i don't remember in particular but was it a little out of time i i made a note on it um I noted I wrote tempo issues by drummer. And I, and I think that that was just more a function of the rawness of the track and the rawness of the recording cuz that's what it felt like to me. It felt like especially once it really started to get rocking cuz I want to say that song was I don't know I think that was one of the longer tracks. I want to say that song was like a little over 4 minutes or right at 4 minutes or something like that. And when it got I don't know I would call it two, two and a half minutes into the song when it really kind of started to jam out a little bit. Um, I don't know. And I'm kind of finicky about that. Like I, I like drummers that can keep time. Yeah. Um, call me crazy. As a bass player, that makes sense. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but I mean, it just, it, it was something that I picked up on and I thought, oh, but I, like I said, I chalked it up more to just the rawness of the album than anything else. You yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, they yeah. liked the cut. It was a hot take. It was good. And, they just went with it. Yeah. Um, another favorite of mine was I Think I'm Going to Hell, just 15. Yes. Um, and one thing I wrote on that was that the, uh, let's see if I can read my own writing here because I know what, what I want to say, but I wrote something in particular. Uh, the vocals were especially beautiful on that one. I feel like they got the reverb right on that song. That mm-hmm. The reverb on that song felt different in some way than a lot of the other tracks 
versions of Reverb, and I feel like that one they they, they really got it right. That, like if they could have made the other songs sent the reverb sound like that, it was just beautiful on that. Gave me chills. The vocals did. There were huge variations from track to track on this album with that reverb. Yeah. I mean, definitely huge dramatic variations from one, like you could get completely different sounds from one track. I mean, they're not completely different, but you can get just wide, wide variances in the depth of the reverb from one song to the next on this. And I agree with you. I also loved the interplay. I felt like there was really, really beautiful interplay between what the lead guitar was doing and his voice on Definitely. I think I'm going to hell. So this was the closest song to where where that had the closest thing to a jam. Yes. Was this one. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the track, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And that was my favorite part. Because yep. I, I really did like that part. Like they they like you said, they kind of jammed it out a little bit. Um, but leading up to that. That that interplay uh, between the guitar and his voice was loved it, loved it a lot. What did you think of the instrumental thing at the end? So was that a marimba? <laughs> Fuck, I don't know. It could be. <laughs> I, it was like a piano. It was like an electric keyboard, but maybe with some bells as well in there. Some kind of some kind of bells. It could have been a marimba. For yeah. me, I could have got could have gone without that. Tell you the truth. Well. Yeah, I could have too. Yeah, it was fucking nonsense. Like, like it was kind of a, <laughs> kind of a weird little afterthought that, it's like if you're gonna do something like that, it's got to be like impressive in some way, or something. That, and, so that honestly though, just so when we listen, well, we listen to Opiate. We haven't listened to Undertow from Tool yet, but um, you know, I even think that on the Wikipedia it said that that was just a hidden track. You know, so. Yeah. They call it untitled or whatnot, but really that was just, you know, they they held silence for a minute or two minutes or something like that, and then they just threw that shit at the end to see how many people would actually listen to the entire CD. You know yeah. what I mean? Like right. that's really what that shit was. So definitely, I don't hate it. Um, I like this album. It doesn't belong in this list, you know, but this is a fun. This is a fun way to. Just it's a fun way to look at the history of what becomes, in my mind, a really great band. Because I love my morning jacket and I love seeing the origins. But you know, in all reality, this isn't a my morning jacket album. This is Jim James. This is Jim James's premier debut album. Definitely. Yep. And I felt very similarly. I said it's cool to see, you know, how their sound kind of originated and evolved from here. But even beyond that, there's some really good songs on here. It's worth listening to. Yeah. But it probably doesn't belong on the list. Although at least one My Morning Jacket album does assuredly sh- belong on the list. You know. Yeah, abs there's absolutely. I mean, we and you and I could fight about which one. That might be a poll question for the future. That yeah. could be a wonderful poll question for What the do you future. think it is? We'll we'll bring it up again in the future, but for Yeah, me, we'll bring it up in the future, but I think Z V it still moves is a wonderful poll question. Yeah. I think Z would win, honestly, because I think there's just more familiarity with most people with Z, but if you really sat down and gave both those albums a really fucking hard listen... Be a tough choice. Yeah, I think I think It Still Moves is a serious contender. The problem is, is that Z has tracks like Don Dante on it, you know? And for every and I Will Sing You songs, which is maybe one of the most beautiful songs I've ever heard in my life, 
Don Dante is just like, it's a ghost story. It's like the war and peace of ghost stories. You know, it's just what else is amazing. On, what else is on Z? Um, it's got Gideon, right? Wordless chorus, Gideon. Um, fuck, what's uh, Into the Woods, which, God damn it, dude. Into the Woods is st straight magic fire. Like, Into the Woods is so good. It's got Off the Record on it. It's, it's got, got Off the Record on it. It's yeah, got it's, a, It Beats for You. That song is gorgeous, dude. That's the second track, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. I mean, that, yes. It's, and that's the problem, right? But, but I think that you could make a similar argument for It Still Moves because it has I Will Sing You Songs. It has Megiddo on it. It has One Big Holiday on it. It has Golden on it. It, it has steam engine on it. I mean, it's got like it's, it. It has a much. It, it's a much longer album, and it has. It has in some ways a wider variety of songs. They're just a lot different, and it still moves. Harkens back to a lot of what we heard with um, the Tennessee Fire. You know, because it's got golden on a, it. Yeah, I mean that. That's yep. a great album, dude. Don't yeah. Don't yeah. get me wrong at all. One big holiday. That's the name of their festival. For God's sakes right and no. that's a really really spectacular song you know yeah but steam engine on that record is that's a steam good one. engine is spectacularly beautiful love steam engine yeah but uh i think we're on the same page here this one doesn't belong on the yeah. list but it's a hint at future albums that do belong on the list absolutely so so um next time if you want to play along with the bonus episodes as well. And um, JB, you and I have not discussed this, but technically next on the list is every Moody Blues record. But for our Moody Blues episode, we're absolutely going to be bringing in um, a special guest and friend of the show, April Leonard. And so... Um, well, I guess we so this? our decision to make is let's how skip. many Moody Blues records are we going to do? Well, yeah, because there's a ton of Moody Blues. But what I would like to propose is let's take a pause on Moody Blues for next week and let's push that to the week after. And invite April for that one. That's right, because we'll be back. We'll be reunited and it feels so good again. Um, so next week, why don't we do this? Why don't we do um, Elliot Smith's self-titled album from 1995? That sounds good. Let's do that. That sounds perfect. And then I just realized, which means because, not to spoil this, but uh, coming in two weeks from now, we're going to have a special record that we're going to have our friend Justin on for. So it means we'll have April on one week. And then the, the next week, show. we will have, have her Justin husband, on. Justin. Yeah. <laughs> so. Anger. That's a deal. Yes. That's a deal. Okay. So if you're playing along at home next week on the bonus snub show, we're going to do Elliot Smith's self-titled album from 1995. And if you're unfamiliar with it, it's listen, it's the one with needle in the hay. All right. And needle in the hay is the opening track on that record. And it's, um, I'm not familiar with this one, dude. I, I, I'll be really curious to, I'll be really curious to see what you think about it. It's a, um, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy it. I'm not familiar with Elliot Smith like in general. So I'll be excited to check this out. Yeah, I think you'll dig him. I think you'll dig him a lot. So cool. um 
as always, listen, thanks for tuning in. Absolutely. Um, hope that you enjoy it. And we'll look forward to getting at you next week whenever we go through the big show. And then on this one, we'll be talking about Elliot Smith's self-titled from 95. Yep. So likely Friday for next week. We'll see you guys. Yep. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Cheers. This list sucks. 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 This list suc